you so much choir. Would you join me in the book of Jude, in the book of Jude, and we're going to read verses 22 through 25 in its conclusion. Jude 22 through 25. Jude, beginning at verse 22. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Upon the initial reading between verse 21 and 22, one certainly should be able to notice that there is a shift at least which conveyed at least the tone to which Jude speaks to inform us that there is something else that this servant of God has to tell his people. And so I've given titles basically based upon the interaction between verse 21 and 22, one more thing I need to tell you. One more thing, says Jude, I need to tell you. For in reading such, I was totally convinced that Jude has left us with his most constructive final advice in verse 20 and 21. In those verses, he says, build yourself up in the faith of Christ, which is accomplished through the immersion in the word of God. That simply means that you should saturate yourself in scripture in order to build your life in the fashion to which God would admire. He says, commit yourself to the faithful praying and direction of the Holy Spirit, which is nothing more than illumination. Pray that God will lead you in everything and yet at the same time, illuminate unto you what the spirit in the text is trying to say. He says, stay in the agape love that is the characteristic of God alone, which is really identification of who God is. For the agape love is much different than the other forms of love that we are aware of because it amazingly has a manner of treating each of us in a fashion that otherwise could not be accomplished. And then he says, finally, keep anticipating that soon and very soon we're going to see the king. Anticipate a great getting up morning where the troubles of this world will soon be over. In fact, when you read verse 21 and 22, at least 22, there is in that language, likewise in 21, there is in that language this an anticipatory expectancy in Jude's words that we should look for the coming of the Messiah real 
soon. But as I read that text, my spirit went back to the old Negro spiritual entitled By and By. You have to kind of be around to remember the lyrics of that song. But it says, by and by, I'm going to lay down my heavy load. I know my robe's going to fit me well. I tried it at the gates of hell. Oh, hell is deep and dark in despair. Oh, poor sinner, whatever you do, don't go there. There's the warning, at least in that language, by the writer of that old spiritual that they've witnessed heaven's glory, but also they've been down to the depths of hell enough to know that that is not where you want to go. Then there comes that riveting bass baritone of Paul Robeson as he lifts the lyrics from that grand old spiritual likewise, going to lay down my burden by the riverside, ain't gonna study war no more. He says, lay down my sword and my shield, put on my long white robe, put on my starry crown, and I'm gonna talk with the Prince of Peace, but I'm gonna do it all down by the riverside. Ain't gonna study war no more. There is that language of forcing us to realize there is some place called heaven, there is some expectancy of another level of living that we should be aspiring to. But then, in verse 21, in clause B, that anticipatory language encourages us and given by Jew to ignite that spirit of endurance in those Christians who are listening to Jude's letter. But in verse 22, there is a suggestion by Dew that although I've said what I've said, there is one more thing I need to tell you. It's as if with his own spirit, he lifts them up to heaven and reminds them of the glory that is there. But he summons them to come back to earth in verse 22 because there's much work that still needs to be done. It's an analogy to Jesus with the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration as they are up there in that heavenly mode with the visitation from Moses and Elijah. And Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. In fact, let's build us three tabernacles that we don't have to descend down to the real world anymore. And Jesus makes clear we can have this moment of crescendo in heaven but we've got to come back down to the real world because there's much work that needs to be done and you remember reading that story when they come down to the foot of the mountain there's a man there whose son is demonically infected and the disciples there at that moment could do nothing to change the man's life it took Jesus intervention to change the man. It's as if Jude perhaps has a reflection of that moment and brings us back down after a contemporary and temporary look into heaven, but just enough to remind us that there's a bright side somewhere and don't you rest until you find it. But in the meantime, we got to come back and handle what's here in reality. And is that not what Sunday morning is all about? It's just a temporary glimpse into the heaven. It's a pit stop on the week's journey, just enough for us to glimpse God's glory, to get refilled, to get re-inspired, 
to get repowered so that we'll be able to handle the challenges of the coming week. It's a moment for us in worship to leave our troubles behind just for a little while allows us to worship just to lay down our burdens if it's only for a day it lets us lay down our burdens and our sword and our shield just for a little while because we fought all week long and we put up with a great deal of frustration but just for that temporary moment on Sunday's glory we get a chance to put on that long robe of peace we get a chance to put on that crown of joy we get a chance to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise just enough to feel God's touch where we know that when we leave out, we are ready for another day's journey. It's, it's a chance just to have a little talk with Jesus to remind us that all of our troubles can be all right if we just remember he hears our faintest cry and he answers by and by and when we can feel a little prayer wheel turning and know a little fire is burning just a little talk with Jesus makes it all right Jude says to them that you're going to need heaven's help divine help because in verse 22 and 23 he requires us not to forget that not only are you going to need help, but you're going to also have to help those who are weak on the journey. You're going to have to reach back and help strengthen those who are operating in a spirit of doubt and in a spirit of fear. You're going to have to help those who don't understand why they are experiencing the fiery dots because they lack spiritual power they lack believing faith they have a weak disposition they lack bible in their soul and yet says jude we need you who are strong in the faith to reach back and help those who are weak in the faith so he says in clause a of verse 22 he says have some mercy on some those who are doubting. He says, give mercy because you have been given mercy. He points to the reality that too little difference exists in terms of emotional and relational maturity between God's people in the church and people who are outside of the church. Behind the praise and worship and the small group gatherings during the week, you find people who are in a valley who are literally heavily burdened by brokenness and failed relationships. Not just to one another, but in their walk with Jesus Christ. You listen to the tone of their expression and you listen to the descriptions of their burdens. They're not necessarily mad or disappointed or at distance between us, but oftentimes there is something more deeper happening in their lives that they certainly don't want to tell you because we don't know how to convey to other people sometimes how burdensome our life is. More importantly, afraid that when we share it, it will get beyond the one, two person. And as a result, everyone knows my business, but everybody don't know how it affects me 
internally. And Jude is saying people are troubled by their weakness to the point where I need you to reach back and show them some mercy because in your moment in which you had that failed relationship or that failed moment, even with God, God gave you some mercy as well. And because of that, they need to feel that there is a God who is merciful and that mercifulness will come through the hand that is willing to not only hold them and comfort them, but the ear that is willing to listen to them and be sensitive to what happens in their context. They are often present in themselves spiritual immaturity that often parades itself as maturity. They are struggling because something terribly is imbalanced in their own spirituality. Too often in church, we are fixated at a stage of spiritual immaturity where the models that we try to use for discipleship are not able to meet the needs of that person because we fail to recognize we haven't caught up with where people are now, case in point. We often neglect to really admit that we do have mental illness in the black community. But in the church, we fail to address that issue from scripture, but historically, we've hidden behind God gonna bless them, God gonna keep them, while at the same time, their mental imbalance doesn't get better. It gets worse because rather than to get them some help, from someone professionally who knows how to diagnose their issues, we're busy hiding behind, God will fix it, we gonna pray for them. Well, sometimes you got to go beyond just merely praying for them because there's something imbalanced in their life that's causing them to connect it, not just with people, but even with God. And so God is saying through Jude, give them some mercy because they don't understand the conflict or the complex we have in church, but they do understand what it means to have some mercy from the grace of God. Many are supposedly, as I said, spiritually matured, but we remain as infants and children and teenagers emotionally. They demonstrate little ability to process anger and sadness or hurt. So watch what they do. They whine, they complain, they distance themselves, they blame and they use sarcasm just like little children when they can't get their way. Now these are adult Christian people in the church who've been here a long time but we're still practicing those childlike characteristics. Highly defensive to criticism or difference of opinion. And they expect to be taken care of and often treat people as objects just to have their needs met. And the root of this problem lies in a faulty spirituality that stems from a faulty theology, one that does not inspire nor require an inquiry beneath the surface 
to break the power of how their past influences their present and how to live beyond their brokenness and their vulnerability and to know their limits and to embrace their loss and their grief. Some people struggle with loss and grief because they've never been able to replace what they've lost in that individual who's passed on into eternity. To make the incarnation of the word a reality as we use Jesus as the model to live and to love according to the glory of God. This, says Jude, is why I say in verse 22, show some mercy on some who are doubting. But watch what he says secondly. He says, not only do I want you to show some mercy, but I need for you to work to save others no matter what it takes. Look what he says in the second clause of verse 22 and then in verse 23. He says, uh, have mercy on some who are doubting, but in verse 23, save others. And you got to wrestle with what does he mean by save others? He says, take salvation to them where they are in their setting because they are too weak to come to church to get what they need. He says, leave the confinements of the church house and go where they are because Jude now plays on words to get its maximum effect. Look what he says. He says, save others, watch the language, next line, snatching them. The word save is the word sozo in the New Testament to which we get the word soteriology which means salvation he's saying use this to understand that we have to get them saved we've got to go where they are and could he be borrowing from the analogy of John 4 where Jesus meets the woman at the well but although she is there because everybody else in town wants nothing else to do with her so she picks the noon time to come out to the well knowing that it's the high time of the heat and nobody else would be out there drawing water and because of her reputation and her lifestyle she would only receive criticism of the well needing water all alone thinking that nobody else would be there but look at Jesus he shows up right where she needs to be right there at the well in her darkest moment in her loneliest moment and in a space where she thinks nobody else cares for her Jesus goes out to meet her and asks a simple question give me a a drink and in saying give me a drink she has to wrestle with the fact that his ethnicity has no relation to hers and she begins to wonder how is it being you a Jew ask me a Samaritan give you a drink and Jesus turns that thing around and begins to use it by saying if you only knew that if I had come here to give you a drink or if you asked me for a drink I would give you a drink of water that would well up into everlasting life and you would never 
thirst again. There it is. There's Jesus trying to tell us sometime you got to take the word to where people are because they ain't coming to your church. They're not coming because they don't feel like it. They don't feel welcome. They don't feel entitled. They don't feel like it's the place where their answer is. And Jesus says not everybody who's going to be saved is going to come into your four walls, but go ye and make disciples of men. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of the space in which you feel so protected and go out there and share the word. And Jude says, sow some mercy on some, but save some as well, which means you gotta become vulnerable, says Jude, in order to make sure that we are reaching what God desires for us to reach. But notice he says, save some, and then he deepens the challenge, the evangelistic challenge. He says, snatching them out of the fire. In other words, he uses a Greek word that Paul uses, harpazo, which means to be caught up. Twofold meaning, one, some people are in context where they are caught up in a lifestyle that they can't get out of. And so Jude says, I need for you to go out there and catch those by evangelizing who are caught up in the wrong space, shift the meaning. Now I want you to get them caught up in the glory of God that they might recognize that this is not your permanent space of existence, but they don't know that unless the people of God take time to go out there and to share with them. Here's the usage. If you look at Paul's use in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I think it's around verse 16, 17, when he talks about the idea of the rapture. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout of, a, with the shout of the trump of an angel, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That means exiting from this space and entering into that space and he says forever meeting the Lord in the air which means that Jesus is not going to touch foot down on this earth anymore but instead he summons his church to come up and meet him in the air that's what church is all about when we come to worship God summons us to come up and meet them in the air that we might enjoy the eschaton, the new space, the eternal space where God provides his glory and his anointing. And isn't it something powerful that when you come to worship and you get caught up in the spirit of God, it's as if God ushers you into another space like earth has no meaning of. In fact, it becomes so unusual and yet so biblical and so out of the norm that you can use words to describe it. All I know is that the spirit of the Lord came down and we were caught up in the glory of God and we couldn't make sense in terms of trying to define it. Why? Because when God comes to harpazo us, which means catch us up, there is something transforming about that. And John, Jude says, God wants us to do it because we have been caught up out of the fire. 
The word fire that means that there is a burning space in which it is consuming the individual. And aren't we glad that God delivered us from some fires in our journey where we are no longer consumed by those fires, but we have been caught up in the glory of God. So much to the point that when we think about where God has brought us and how God has delivered us and where he has delivered us from. Okay, some of y'all are too religious to understand that, but here's what I'm saying. When you think about where you were when you received salvation, the condition of your life and how far in the fire you were and grace and mercy gave you another chance and gave you a renewed strength and change your life because Jesus came down and snatched you out of that place that was consuming your life. And then he says, if that's not challenging enough, I need you to have mercy on some and save others and snatch them from the fire. Look at verse 23. And on some have mercy with fear. I got to think, what could he possibly mean by have mercy with fear? Because Jude says, watch this, he says, there are some folk, no matter how hard you work to get them out of the fire, when they get out of the fire, for some reason, they will never acquire the strength. They end up going back to the fire. It's as if I see many people walk the aisle, join the church, and they, they get excited about it, and then they disappear. In fact, oftentimes I wonder that they go to another church only to think, how do you create a sense of protection around you from God's glory when you're not interacting in congregational life? It's because they don't have the strength to stay away from what they were delivered from. So they go back. It's almost as if, you know, we wonder why we have such a high rate of prisoners once they come out of incarceration. They end up going back to incarceration. Well, it's hard to break what you're only familiar with. And if all we provide them is the same context to which they were delivered out of, guess what? They're going back to that same context, and guess what happened? They're going back to the very same space that they were delivered out of. And maybe Jude is trying to tell us the church is so vital, you have the answer to help deliver people out of the fire. Tell the story. Tell your story. Because no one can witness about you but you the way you can witness about you. But share with them the darkness of your own journey and how God snatched you out of the fire. But maybe that's it. Maybe the problem is we think we're still in the fire. We haven't been completely delivered only, only to realize, yes, we have. But Amos tells us in Amos chapter 4 of his Old Testament writing that God comes to a place where even God, even God, not only in Amos, but Jeremiah 11, Jeremiah 7, and Jeremiah 14, where God will even cut us off in the time of prayer. Because God is saying, I'm going to keep delivering you, 
But I need you to remember if you get this deliverance, you need to make a commitment to me. In Amos chapter 4, they wouldn't commit to God. In fact, repeatedly, the prophet reminds them that God keeps on delivering, but they kept on deciding that they would not give their life fully to the commitment of God's glory. Listen to the text. God says through the prophet Amos, I gave you cleanliness of your cities. I gave you when there was a lack of bread in all your spaces, and yet you still have not returned unto me. Here's translation. I healed you even when you were nowhere in sight to glorify me. I gave you provision even when you would do nothing to thank me and yet you still would not return unto me. He says, furthermore, I withheld the rain from you while there were still three months until the harvest. Watch this. Even when your crop should have died or your crop was not ready to come forth in fruit because you have a need, I let it rain or I withheld the rain so it wouldn't dry out the crop or ruin the crop and yet you still won't come to me. Look what he says. He says, then I would send rain on one city and on another city I would not. On one part I would rain, on another part I would not. And still you will not come back to me. God is saying to us through Jude that Jude is saying some folk, no matter how hard you witness, they will not embrace what the word of God says and they will end up going back to what God has delivered them out of. There's nothing you can do about that. But Jude says, yet you still have the responsibility shared with them anyway. Because when all is said and done, you want God to be able to say to you, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But he says, not just that, but hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. In other words, Jude says, using the analogy of the leper, that they are willing when they got delivered from leprosy. Watch this. Oh, this is a good one. Got delivered from leprosy took off their leopard clothes, laid them down, and had a nerve to go out and then turn around and come back and pick up the leopard clothes and put them back on. They are polluted. Peter says it's almost like uh, dogs eating their own vomit. They would rather go back and live in the mess that they were delivered from. Here's worse than that. Jude is not talking to unchristian people. He's talking to people who are in the church community. And Jude is saying, when you've already been delivered from the mess, why do you let God take off the grave clothes and then you turn around and come out of the grave victoriously and then yet go back and pick up the same clothes you were just delivered out of. And he's arguing in the text that we have this awful habit of doing such behavior, but then watch the shift again. It's as if in verse 23, Jude gets overwhelmingly frustrated and angry that the people of God won't do any better. But then he says, but now unto him. 
He changes his whole context by saying, you know what? Ain't no need me wasting my time trying to figure out why you act the way you are. I just got to go ahead and start worshiping him. Look what he says. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling, says some verses. Others from stumbling. Jude says, let me give you my final point. Resort now to the ableness of the Savior. He says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. He argues that if you're willing to commit yourself to God's glory and to God's word, God will put on the inside of you an anticipation that he will not lead you astray nor lead you down the wrong path, but he will always lead you out of the valley of the shadow of death. Even if you have to walk through it, he will lead you victoriously and won't let you stumble. Look what he says. Now unto him, that can keep you from falling and present you in the presence of God with his glory, blameless, with great joy. Now Jude says, if you keep serving him, God is going one day in that transitory moment present you before the Father blameless and with great joy. I'm excited about that because trouble not only don't last always, but if I keep pushing through what trouble I got, one day, don't know what day that's going to be, but one day, going to lay down my heavy burden down by the riverside, going to put on a real white robe that has no stains, no, no imperfections at all. And the Savior is going to present us before God, look at what the text says, with great joy. It's as if he says, Jesus is going to say, Father, this is a joy for me to present this one before you. Oh, he or she went through some stuff, but they held on to my hand and they kept on trusting me and they kept on believing me and they kept on worshiping me and they kept on honoring us and they kept on celebrating us. And even when the rain fell in their life, they kept on believing that greater was he that was in them, that he was in the world. I present them with great joy unto you. I want to be in that number that he presents with great joy. And then as an exclamation point, he says, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He had to put that line in there because the false teachers in their Gnostic views were suggesting that not only was Jesus not uh, incarnate in terms of being among humanity, but there was no way that any of us could worship him because he was too holy to be worshiped. Thanks be unto God, he handled that, John 1, by becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And Paul says he is worthy of such worship because he feels all the infirmities that we go through and he identifies with all of the struggles that we have and he knows what it means to be in pain and he could not have done that had he not become flesh and dwelled among us so Jude had to close by saying 
to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ. And he says, Jesus is giving glory, majesty, dominion, and power. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that God, through Christ, is worthy of all honor because Christ is not only the encompass of who God is, but he is the head, not only of the church, but says Paul, he holds all things together. Good God from Zion. Not only does he, does, is he the king of kings, but he holds all things together. He in his own power has dominion and power. In other words, Paul is saying, if it hadn't been for the glorious hand of God, in fact, there's truth in that little old nursery rhyme. He got the whole world in his hand. He's got all that he needs right there in the palm of his hand. And he's holding it together. But I translate that as saying, Jude says, not only does he hold it all together, but he holds you together. If it hadn't been for Jesus, we would have lost our minds. We would have gone deranged. We would have lost sense of everything. But he holds us together. And so to him, says Jude, we give dominion, we give majesty, we give authority, not only before, before time, boy, that's, that's powerful right there, theology. Even before time was, he already was. Holding all things together. Before there was even a world, he was already holding it together. And then he says, before all time and now. Which means that even now that there is a world, the world rotates on its axiom at its preciseness all because there's a God who causes it to do so. How come Saturn don't come any closer than it needs to be? How come, this, how come we in the earthly realm don't go any closer to the sun than we need to be? It's because there's a God who holds it all together. How in the world is it the moon on this side of the world, but on the other side of the world is sunshine? It's because there's a God who holds it all together. Now, someone in their skeptical mind may say, if God holds it all together, why do we have natural disasters? Well, that's because God, in his own divine order, won't violate his own word. So in Genesis chapter 2, 3, and 4, he lets the world roll like he intended to roll, and there will be natural disasters. But check this out. Have you noticed, though, when there is natural disasters, it is always followed by renewal in the space. So all of those fires that we are seeing out in California, watch this, when the fires finish burning, go back out about 24 to 48 hours later and you will see small green sprouts starting to peep up out the ground to let you know there's a God who holds it all together. He's given dominion before. He's given dominion now and says Jude forever. That means in God's own time, says Jude, here's the greatest thing I got to tell you. He coming back again. 
But Jude doesn't tell you in the text, this is Murphy's spiritual imagination, but Jude is saying, don't listen to them quacks who tell you he'll be here at such and such date at such and such time. Have you noticed they say he coming back at such and such date and such and such time? We still here. It's because Jesus made it clear when questioned by the disciple, no man knows the day nor the hour. In fact, Jesus says, I don't even know when the Father is going to tell me to blow the trumpet. I don't know. But it is going to happen. So he says in Matthew 24 and 25, when he talks about the ten virgins, five foolish, five wives, the essence of the story, keep your lamps burning. Keep all in them because the bridegroom is coming back. And you don't want to be like those five foolish virgins who when the bridegroom came back in the middle of the night to call them, they couldn't go out to meet him because they didn't have any oil in their lamps and they couldn't see where they were going. But those who had plenty of oil knew exactly how to get to the bridegroom. And Jude is saying, stay ready for you never know the day nor the hour. He will come back and get you. Two interpretations and I'm done. We could refer to the eschaton of the rapture of the church, but we also must refer to the end of our life on this earthly realm. We never know when he's coming back to get us. In fact, Jude would argue that when you pass away, it is all something like a preamble or a type of being ushered into glory in terms of the rapture. He comes back to get you. And when he comes back to get you, he takes you into eternity, never to return in this world anymore. But you are gone into glory, says Jude, in the fitting room. <laughs> Let me leave that alone. In the fitting room. Getting you all sized up. See, grandmama and them didn't have good language, but they had good figures and good imagination. Uh, getting fit for my shoes. Because the one that I had on this side of the earth wore out and they had holes in the bottom and I had to keep replacing them, but, but I'm going to get some shoes. <laughs> because those shoes are specialized to walk on streets of gold. I'm going to get fit for my road. My robe on this side had to keep being dry cleaned and eventually it dry rotted out. But I'm going to get measured for a robe where no more dry rot and, and, and no more disconfiguration will happen. But I'm going to sing. Oh, then I got to get fit for my crown. Not just the crowns that I got in this round. They are perishable. But, but I got a crown, says Paul, that is incorruptible gonna get fit on my head and then I'm gonna join the choir in fact I don't have to join I'm already a member of the choir I gotta get ready with my voice I got to sing because I'm gonna go beyond how the angels sing but we gonna sing the heavens and, and the choir conductor will no longer have to actually conduct the choir we will already sing and sing I, I'm looking for a city in my city 
there are rats and roaches and, and there are HOAs and, and there are issues with my house where the roof needs to be repaired. But in that city, uh, no more Novak, no more Dominion Power. Uh, uh, the, the illumination and its electricity comes from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jude is setting us up to let us know there's a bright side somewhere. Don't you rest until you find it. You got to labor. You got to keep pushing. You got to keep working. And it's there. This is just a dress rehearsal. Uh, that's, why, that's, why, that's why the Bible sort of encourages us. I need y'all to work on getting along there. Because we don't tolerate that stuff up here. So when you got it together there, we just slide into the spot up there and we make it work. This is all a reflection, a reflection, anticipatory language of what can be if we're willing to work at it. And you got to work, listen, you got to work at serving God on this side of the joy. You got to work at that thing. Ah, oh, but when you work and when you see the reward of doing so, there is some victory. There is reason to shout. Let me close with this. I used to wonder why uh, my grandparents and them loved their church so much. I mean, rain, sleet, snow, doesn't matter what it was. If that door was going to open, they were going to be there. My grandfather who was a deacon would get there and he would get that pot belly stove ready and would start throwing wood in there. And by the time everybody else got there, church be warm. And I got to thinking as I got older, why in the world did they push through all of that? Three people might show up. But I realized later it's because that little small one room building meant the world to their human existence. It did something for them every single week. When they came out of witnessing slavery and segregation and discrimination, in that one room space, they realized they were somebody and there was a God who affirmed their humanness and they also recognized that in that space, it gave their life meaning. Listen, when the choir sounded, ain't nothing about being on a note but there was something revelatory in their singing that I never, I can still hear him right now. In my, you can too. You can still hear him right now in your, in your mind singing those old songs. And I can still see Grandma Lucille just rocking back to side, back and forth. Yeah, and I, I can... We, we didn't have no piano play in my home church. So all the music was done either by this. That's all we did. And as I got older, now I kind of appreciate why they did what they did. Because they weren't really settling on the one room building. They got a glimpse of the heavenly building. And they were anticipating 
Oh, I realize now why granddaddy would wear that. Oh, he would wear that suit. Check this out. How do you wear a suit coat with bib overalls? <laughs> but, but Deacon McDuffie would come up in there and you couldn't tell him nothing. And he had the same prayer. We all knew the prayer by memory. In fact, I can tell you how he going to start, when the infliction in his voice going to change, and how he going to conclude. But now I know what James McDuffie was trying to tell us, trying to tell me. Yeah, boy, I ain't got the knowledge that you got. No, I don't know, I, 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 I don't know nothing about that. That's what he told I, I don't know about that. But, it, but, but, but I do know, I do know. I do know the Lord, not the Lord, the Lord been good to me. And, and, and I do know the Lord answers prayer. And, and I, I, I may not know how to, how to say it you way you say it, but I know he hear me. Mark that, he hear me. And ain't nothing more exciting than to leave church knowing he heard me and he hears me. That's what this is Jude trying to tell these Christians. Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling. And to present his faultless before his throne with great joy to the only Son of God our Father Jesus Christ be given dominion, power, majesty, and glory before, now, and forever. Crescendo. Amen. See, that's always a crescendo in the text. Amen. Amen means so be it. It's done. And Jude is trying to tell us this morning in a very interesting way, listen, don't let the enemy throw you off track. But keep your eyes and keep your lamps trimmed and burning. Then, then God, then God will lend you his favor. And in lending you his favor, you don't have to worry about what's going to happen. It's going to work together for the good. If I got any witnesses in the house that know God is able, let me hear you give him a great praise and celebration on this Lord's Day of Worship. Hallelujah.